0: hasn't worked out well for them uh, because their email address was hacked, they were doxxed, and then all of a sudden their source code is not for sale anymore. Uh, the hacker <laughs> has disappeared. Uh, all the footage that was getting uploaded to the internet has been taken down for copyright.
1: Welcome to the Metacast Roundtable by Navic. Today I'm joined by Matt Diane, Lead Product Manager at EA and Contributor at Navic, and also Anthony Pecarella, Co founder at Level Up Labs and Contributor at Navic as well. It's the Navic family.
0: <laughs> Hello. Hi.
1: Hello. You made it. I'm, I'm going to experience the jingle since our last failure um, in the previous recording to be jingle wise. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's starting to be fall here in england i hope somewhere out there someone's listening to this with a beautiful sunny day so that we'll live vicariously through your happiness
0: it's <laughs> sunny here in l.a
1: um oh wow okay cool i'm so happy for you matt it's, it's thank you <laughs> that's why i it very honest, away from honestly. the snow <laughs> Yeah, in England, we don't even really get snow. It's just gray. Anyway, on to happy topics. Um, today, we're going to be talking about uh, GTA's leak. Don't know if that is a happy topic. Um, Overwatch <laughs> 2, um, discussing whether it's a sequel or a or restructuring of the game, and also discussing risk in game design. So it'll be more of an exploratory topic. Um, yeah, before we dive into the, the topics, I don't know if you've seen X-Hero. We briefly spoke about it before. I was just I just started playing it yesterday, where it has the save the Doge. Is that how you pronounce it? Doge? It's not dog, right? It's Doge, yeah.
2: No, Doge, I think, yeah.
1: Doge. Um, yeah, it's an idol, it's like an idle battler mixed with a Doge game. There's a lot circulating through social media now on why it's, it is it is a success, I had a lot of fun. I love saving the Doge from the little <laughs> beast. Yeah, I go. So I have the first topic, which is uh, Overwatch, whether it's a sequel or a restructure. Um, and when I started looking into it, it was extremely interesting. So I'm excited to talk about it. Um, there was a bit of turbulence with to between the announcement and the development journey of Overwatch. Overwatch, we're not going to dive into it, um, but basically, Overwatch Two arrives on October fourth. And it's going to replace Overwatch Prime. They're not going to live side by side. The two arrives and so the October 2nd is the last day that you can play Overwatch Prime before it gets replaced. And Overwatch 2 is going to bring some major changes. Uh, The game is going to be free to play. It's no longer going to be premium. They will have cross platform play and progression. And you can actually link up uh, multiple platforms onto your Battle.net account so that You can keep, for example, you have different progression on different accounts, or if you have purchases um, between accounts, you can uh, merge and keep them all. And yeah, there's a whole migration process that I believe you can start going through. They're going to continue to no longer have a loot box monetization. They removed it um, from Overwatch Prime at the end of August uh with the reasoning that you know they were go- they knew that the game was going to be replaced and they didn't want to they wanted to avoid like difficulties of of people spending a lot of money um and then having to go into the free to play realm the monetization model is going to be battle pass based um purchasing the premium battle pass will give you access to the new characters but if you don't buy the premium tier you can still unlock the characters by completing the the free the free um track of the battle pass. It will just take you longer. And a way that they're mitigating this competitively, so we're also have a brief discussion on it, is that the new characters won't be playable in the competitive mode for a few weeks. And this is to allow the game developers to balance um, before having skin in the game, but also to give players who are free to play the opportunity to, to earn The new characters before they can bring an advantage in the competitive mode. And the seasonal cadence of the game with the battle pass that renews every nine weeks is also going to be the cadence to release new features, new characters, maps, skins. Um, So they've also changed their production processes. So the first question I want to put out there, Anthony, um, you can go first. So, what do you think? Is Overwatch 2? Correcting mistakes from the past and introducing a new business model, or is it a sequel?
2: Uh, I mean, it sounds a lot like. I I guess you know there are questions around you know how much of the characters are new and how different is the gameplay and all of that. But um, it really seems like Overwatch 2.0 might be a better way to to put it. Um, You know, if you're if you're replacing an original, that's I think pretty. Clear that you're kind of moving to a new model. Like it sounds a little bit like um, uh, was it the Lord of the Rings game that went from premium to free to play, um, Lord of the Rings Online or something like that? I think um, there was a couple of games that have made that pivot and have had a tremendous amount of success. And I uh, I suspect you know they probably weren't getting as much regular revenue coming in, especially by removing loot boxes, which there's been a lot of pressure for. Uh, so you know, going to the free-to-play model, will. You know, Blizzard certainly has had a lot of success with free-to-play on a number of their titles, uh, though obviously also premium. Uh, it's interesting to see them doing a kind of combination and doing both well. But to me, it, it really sounds like it's it's more of an evolution of, of the original game. Um, they've, they've learned a lot from it. They realize that maintaining the original game um, is probably just too much effort to be worth it. They want a re- more regular revenue stream, um, though I imagine the loot boxes were pretty regular. So it's it's a little surprising that they got rid of it, um, but uh, I guess they feel that they're going to get a really high conversion rate from their current players to the new ones, and likely the business model is going to work out better for them.
1: Yeah, Matt, you're you're a product manager, and um, what do you f- what do you think about the same developers, Division and Blizzard, removing loot boxes and in one of their IPs, but then also having recently released a very loot box-heavy game of Diablo Immortal recently. What, what do you make of it?
0: Um, I think they're kind of separate decisions. Um, I, I should first say, like, I played an unhealthy amount of Overwatch. Like, I love Overwatch, the first one. <laughs> and um, I know that it had the the gotchas in it, the loot boxes, but um, as a player, I found them to be fairly forgiving um in the sense that like you can earn a lot of currency for free just by engaging with the game and maybe it's because i played so much of the game but i never had any issue um getting the cosmetics that i wanted um yeah i I suppose the only time there would be a real pinch would be if there was like a time limited uh set of cosmetics and you have to like get these you know halloween uh loot boxes or whatever um, something like that but um I I think it's an interesting business decision. Um and I think it's you know, I think you mentioned this earlier, it's sort of a reaction to the success or lack thereof of the original Overwatch's business model. Um just kind of changing it around I, I don't it's not clear to me like how how they're gonna make a bunch of money. Are they just selling battle passes? Is that the is that the key thing here? Um because uh, to me passes, that doesn't seem
1: skins
0: Yeah, but it's like direct purchase skins. Is that right? Yeah, it seems like not very very deep um, spend depth um, at first glance. Um, I think when you when you talk about just gotcha, generally speaking, like you know, if we're talking about like mobile games, you mentioned Diablo Immortal. Of the top one hundred mobile games, probably like I don't know ninety percent plus have gotchas in them. Uh, So it's a proven business model. I suspect they are doing this for a couple of reasons. One being kind of public backlash to to loot boxes. They want this to be an esport. They want this to be a big sort of free to play. Everyone can try and be the best type of competitive shooter. And they, they were already going that direction with Overwatch One, right? Like they had a huge esports push. They had a number of free to play weekends when it became pretty evident that the player base was declining and they needed to get people back into the game and interested in the the, the eSport. So I think um, getting rid of loot boxes and just doing uh, battle passes is one effort to kind of appeal to a broader audience and make it more like palatable to the general public, I think. Um, I think other... Go ahead.
1: Oh no! I was just nodding in in agreement oh. <laughs> that I, I read one analysis that was saying that Fortnite came along in since you know since Overwatch was initially released, it changed mm-hmm. a lot the monetization meta of this these kind of games, and that this is also a reaction to consumer behavior that's changing.
2: Yeah, so I Even think, um, I was going to say uh, yeah, I, I, it's it, it's interesting to me that because it's entirely cosmetic, like the whole esports side of it, like it seems like loot boxes wouldn't really affect it because it's not affecting your, your gameplay ability. Um, whereas for, you know, a lot of Diablo immortal and others, I think it, you know, it does affect your, your power. Um, but, uh, I mean, you're right that the the depth of spend will be a lot lighter. Um, but this, I mean, at some level really mimics what they had their success with with world of Warcraft. Like it's much more like a subscription model mm-hmm. where you get lots and lots of people participating, um you know with a declining user base like you said matt like this is a great way to reinvigorate that and to get every uh get a much much larger group going um which has positive effects around like you know even more people on twitch and even more people in, in uh participating um also so i mean you're right maria like the uh fortnite really kind of blew battle pass, or i think it may have originated it right um certainly made it the incredibly popular uh, i was looking at some data recently and Um, I think in 2018, this was uh, coming from a game refinery, uh, the top 20% of games um, in mobile games were about like 10 or 15%, I think, had Battle Pass in them. Now it's up to more Mm -hmm. like 50 or 60%. So it's been much, much more, um, there's been a lot more adoption over the past few years. Uh, I know when we were working with Apple, Apple was actively encouraging people to use the Battle Pass. Like, it's it's something that they had seen a lot of success with, and they probably, similar to what you were saying, Matt, like, it is something that feels a lot more um, palatable, I guess. But um, it's interesting to me. Like, it almost sounds worse from a competitive perspective if you're going to have heroes that aren't, you know, characters that aren't even available for probably a lot of the free-to-play players. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how people react to that side of things.
1: Well, they. They can be available if you invest and you progress. I mean, yeah,
2: okay, yes. Yeah. It so won't if you be get...
1: available like now from the start. All, all of the char- you get you get all of the characters off off the bat, and I thought it was an interesting comment. I was reading the announcement that they had made, and I think someone who was leading the project talked about. I think they got a lot of backlash from players about um, locking um, new characters behind progressing the battle pass, and they said, you know, it's a business. And what's the most attractive thing about the game is playing with a new character. So it was just the obvious choice to design the battle pass around.
2: That makes sense. I just, I, in terms of the eSports side, um, I mean, yes, you can unlock it. But the people who have paid for it are going to be practicing with it for weeks before everyone else is, is able to even start using it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, games are a business, obviously. Like we, hmm. We're all, all right there. Um, but if it's a, if they're really trying to emphasize the eSports side of it, it just surprises me a little bit to take something. Yes, the characters are the most interesting thing to, um, you know, the thing I'd be most likely to pay for, for sure. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, from a, kind of like the fairness perspective, it uh, surprised me a little bit.
1: It is, it is coupled with the change that they're making to the competitiveness, so how the, the characters interact, because Overwatch... Prime and Matt you'll be able to confirm this because you played it a lot. <laughs> um, in Overwatch Prime there's almost a rock paper scissor element where if someone brings a character there's a character that can counter it and it's more about the characters and less about uh, yeah, there's skill involved but if you know what characters to pick and you have some skill, you can you can gain an advantage And what they're doing um, in Overwatch 2 is that they're making they're reducing the importance of what character you're bringing. So it's more about skill and less rock, paper, scissor. It just adds an edge of competitiveness. So perhaps that and that will help mitigate how important new characters are.
0: Uh, I, I think your your analysis is pretty correct. It's been a while since I've followed the competitive scene there, but I do remember they had this, this meta where tanks were really important. And it got to this point where The team, it was just like a a slog where like teams were just like, like unleashing all this damage on tanks and trying to reduce the HP of the other team's tanks so that they could get to the DPS and the healers. And it was just this grind and kind of like a tug of war where like things wouldn't go anywhere. And just like, it was kind of like not fun to watch or play, uh, in my opinion. I don't know if they were able to correct that um, in in recent years, but that was a real problem they had and probably a big reason why they switched to the 5v5 over 6v6, so there could only be one tank.
1: You have such a good point there about not fun to watch. So that could also be a massive boost for the game. Not only is it free to play, but um, reducing the importance of the character choice and being more skilled, the outcome is less predictable. And so it just mm-hmm. be more fun to watch. And Overwatch, I believe invest quite a lot in like the competitive scene, and so being able to get more viewership in terms of streams, and then also participating in the esports competitions. I read, I read in my when I was doing some research about the dual building tanks, where they have like shields, and yeah, it didn't sound very fun.
0: <laughs> I hope that they can revitalize the esports. Um, and if you ever get a chance to um, see it live, like they they do it in L.A., I don't know if they do it in the the respective club cities where the other teams are based, but they have a really good live presentation um, mm-hmm. at their studio um, in Burbank. And so it's it's a fun experience. Um, and I hope that they can bring the, the eSports aspect back to life because it's, it's really enjoyable to watch if you get the chance to go see it in person.
1: Yeah, I, I was trying to think, is this a good approach that would be useful to more studios where instead of releasing a sequel and then you have to maintain the previous games, plus the sequel, with the cost of opportunity where you could have your full team working on the new game and improving that, do you think um, this is a strategy that we'll see more more studios follow?
2: Yeah, um, I think it depends a little bit on the situation, which I mean, I guess you can always say, but um, for example, I, w- I worked at Imanji, um, which is the Temple Run developers, and Tumper Run 1 and Tumper Run 2 are both out. they are both you know, been around for a long time. We were getting a, almost the same number of downloads in, in Tumper Run 1 as Tumper Run 2. Uh. And so, you know, having, trying to move people over or get rid of that made no sense at all because that was a substantial part of our audience. Um, you know, I think in that may be an extreme case where like it built up a, a brand and sort of like kind of kept rolling. But, uh, you know, they we had talked a few times about whether or not to try to transition all of the Temple Run two one players into two, um, and uh, you know, and if if a sequel were done, try to you know, same question: Do we push everyone into a Temple Run three if that would happen? And uh, yeah, we, we kind of felt like it, it didn't make sense for us because so many of our downloads were coming for the first one. Um, so I, yeah, I, in some cases it seems like it would make more sense, but uh, I, I was surprised. Um, when I first started there, I thought, you know, we should definitely be going all into the same app. But it just, uh, didn't for us, didn't make sense from the download perspective.
0: I suspect if you were to give the, the folks at Blizzard Truth Serum, they would not say that this has gone particularly well. I think, like, <laughs> the time to have done this would have been two, two years ago. Um, because it's, it's not like, like, they're kind of stuck in the middle, right? They, like, Overwatch is not, like, a top-tier competitive shooter right now and Overwatch 2 is still not out yet. Um, and so if they really wanted to do this transition, they should have had more of an overlap where they were ready to go with Overwatch 2. And who knows? There could be a million reasons why they weren't ready. You know, it's, it's a very high production quality game. There's a lot of balance involved with the different heroes. and So I'm not making this... I don't mean to make this sound like a trivial effort. It's a huge effort. Mm-hmm. Um, but the timing uh, has not been great. And so... You know, it's it's hard to draw conclusions on whether this is a successful strategy that others should emulate um, based on the results that we're seeing here, because it's just not been performed under, let's say, ideal circumstances.
2: Yeah,
1: I I agree with those views. Um, another example currently live in the market is, for example, Asphalt Eight and Asphalt Nine. Where Asphalt Eight still performs amazingly well, as as does Asphalt Nine and CSR when CSR 3 comes out I'm pretty sure they'll still keep CSR 2 um ongoing
2: I, I remember I was just looking at the um Steam top revenue games in 2021 um and uh they have their platinum tier that is top 12 and then gold are the next 12 and in the gold tier are both Forza Horizon 4 and Forza Horizon 5 um so
1: <laughs> there you go you know,
2: which is wild um and, and you know Madden and all the sports games are always doing that like they could just update their rosters and everything but uh, have found that that kind of repurchase model has worked really well at the same time you know live service games are maybe a bit of a different situation where you know World of Warcraft they have their expansions every once in a while but it's still they've still World of Warcraft 2, uh, even if they had Diablo 1 Diablo 2 Diablo 3 uh, so you know it might be that I guess that would be a question like I I know I mentioned Temple Run but uh, it also was a premium game early on but you know what have there been many free to play games that have had good success doing um a sequel I guess like there was a Farmville 2 but I don't think it did particularly well like how many I don't know, I'm trying to think of big mobile games yeah. that are free sequels That's a good point
1: Well I mean, maybe maybe Asphalt's one of them. Oh, are they
0: for free-to-play? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. All right, yeah. Mm. yeah. It seems then, to be genre-dependent, as you say, like fighting games maybe, sports games, racing games, those you can do year over year. But, yeah, free-to, like, yeah, I don't know.
1: I think, uh, for example, um, Destiny. I know it wasn't always free-to-play. I think Destiny's a good example where and maybe World of Warcraft will encounter this at some point. Maybe Final Fantasy XIV. So very long, um, live-running games that add, selling expansions, like premium expansions, works up to the point where your tech just starts hindering you so much, where you need to start considering Re- working on all of the technical debt, refactoring. It's just not. It's just not feasible. And so, just build a new a new game. Um, An update, well, adjust, you know, with everything that it entails, but well, that could be a more cost-effective um, and effective strategy.
0: Yeah, sequels are kind of antithetical to the free-to-play model, right? Like, free-to-play, you want to go as long as possible and maintain it as a service. Sequels, you want to do it on a more frequent cadence, so you're getting that, you know, sixty-dollar box price every year or something like that.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it's like games as a service, like we. It- same for your software as a service. Like there's no Discord two, right? You know, it's just, <laughs> just Discord, and they just yeah, keep yeah. <laughs> developing,
0: right? <laughs>
1: um, just one last one last point of analysis of Overwatch two is that. Uh, it sounds like they changed their production processes to adapt to the new seasonal model. And I want to dig into this a bit, Matt, with your, your experience, if you can talk about it. Because um, at least from a mobile perspective, this is very common. You know, a lot of mobile games have battle passes. And you, you need to have almost three levels of timelines that you're always working towards. You're doing very small surgical developments to, you know, you have something new to release, for example, live ops every one, two weeks. And then you have maybe another part of the team working on more midterm, maybe features, maybe a campaign, something that's a bit meatier. And then you have another part of the team or a different, you know, scrum team entirely that's developing like game changing, like a new game mode um, in RuneScape, you know, a new skill or whatever it is. And... I don't. It sounds like they did change their production processes to have teams working on the different seasons, so that they have the capacity to develop multiple new characters at the same time, no, multiple new maps. Um, does this this do you have this setup at EA?
0: Um, I mean, it, it's not really clear to me what their setup is exactly, so it's hard to compare and contrast. To be clear, like I, I'm pretty sure that they were doing some. Thing like this for Overwatch 1, but it sounds like they've really kind of refined it um, to be more season-based, uh, especially if they're leaning into the battle passes. That makes a lot of sense. They were definitely doing regular updates of bug fixes and putting out new heroes and new maps, but it, maybe it wasn't so predictable, like season over mm-hmm. season, month over month, whatever they decide to do for a season length. Um, but um, I mean, it's, it's not an easy thing to adjust to. Um, You really have to build those muscles as an organization and you have to have the tooling to support it. You have to get in a cadence of regularly updating and cutting a build and sending it to QA and making sure everything is working smoothly. Uh, On mobile, you have the added like platform approvals that you have to go through as well. Um, So there's a whole kind of pipeline that you have to establish and strengthen over time and through repetition. Um, And I guess it will remain to be seen uh, how robust it is with Overwatch. But, you know, clearly they have some exp- experience, at least on the mobile side, doing this. Yeah, it's it's just something that comes with time. And uh, you need to have people who have gone through it before. Um, it's not something you can just flip a switch and turn your studio to li- live service all of a sudden. Um, so I, I think it remains to be seen um, how successful they will be.
2: They are, they are signing themselves up for new character or characters every however long the season is. So it's like, you know, if you slipped by a few weeks with an, uh, an update under a, a normal situation, it's not as big a deal. But here, like, they're going to have, I, I really kind of feel sorry for their dev team um, crunches near the end of each of those seasons that are going to be real rough. So ho- hopefully yeah. they don't have to go through that. Hopefully they can do it well. But yeah. um, those are some hard deadlines from unforgiving fans that are going to come out of that.
0: You can't always predict for a given like hero, let's say, you know, you can't say, Oh, it'll take us, you know, three weeks to make a hero. Like based on whatever kind of abilities they want to give that hero, they may be more or less complex in terms of technical challenges, in terms of balancing with the other heroes. It's it's difficult to predict exactly how long it will take to create one hero, uh, or one map or you know what have you. So um Yeah. Yeah, as a lot, says a lot, a lot can
1: go wrong in game dev. That should maybe be the the tag um, of industry analysis, yeah. And I think they were very smart with their strategy of buying themselves time if they have to release something that's not pure, you know, finely balanced because they it's not in the competitive mode. So it does give you a little bit of leeway before affecting the the game too significantly. And yeah, I I agree by having their characters being the centerpiece of their seasonal passes. They did leave the door open that they won't always release new characters every season. Uh, the first two seasons will have new characters, but then they say, but then it might be every every other season. But it just leaves me the, with the question of how it might affect their revenue because if the character is the main driver to, monitor, to to buy the premium, if you don't have that, will you find something good enough to replace it in that motivation? We'll, we'll have to see. Yeah,
2: Yeah, hopefully they have you know, five or six characters in the hopper as well that they've already developed and are just holding on to. So you, like, the more you can have stuff ready to launch, the kind of give yourself a little bit more flexibility as well in case something goes wrong.
1: That's a really good point. Um, as much as the last... audience
2: would hate to hear that. <laughs>
1: yeah, you have to build up a little bank <laughs> of your content treadmill. It sounds like we need to set up a Navic Overwatch team. <laughs> Matt is the leader.
0: No, I'm... <laughs> It's been a while <laughs> since I've played. I'm not, not very good.
1: Um, all right. Well, we'll drive into the next topic, which is the GTA leaks. Um, I think this is with you, Matt.
0: Yeah. So this was the big news of the past weekend. Um, a uh, a hacker managed to get into Rockstar's internal systems. Uh, sounds like it was perhaps through Slack channels. And they got access to a whole bunch of data. Uh, something like 90 videos or three gigabytes of development footage and other, other data from Grand Theft Auto 6. Long rumored. Um, I don't know if it had been officially confirmed prior to this leak, but it certainly has been since then. The leak has been confirmed to be um, accurate. It's from the next Grand Theft Auto game. Uh, this, this is pretty massive, right? This game has been in development in some form or another According to Bloomberg, since 2014, um, and the previous title, Great Theft Auto 5, is still selling like crazy. It's still like topping the charts, which is incredible. You know, a massive achievement for that game. Um, and so, uh, you know, some of the things that are coming out here that had been previously rumored uh, for the first time, they're going to have a female protagonist in additional, in addition to the male protagonist. Uh, it's supposed to be a sort of Bonnie and Clyde situation as the way it's been described, um, takes place in a fictional Miami. uh, As you might know, Vice City, there was a previous game that took place there as well. Um, So let's see, statement from Rockstar Games, uh, quote, work on the game will continue as planned. At this time, Rockstar Games does not anticipate any disruption to its current services nor any long-term effect on its development timelines as a result of this incident. We can talk about that in a little bit. Um, Just a, a quick note here on the hacker. Um, so supposedly unverified. This is the same hacker that infiltrated Uber last week uh, and stole a bunch of data from them. This hacker, I saw this on one article. I haven't seen it in any other, so I don't know if this is verified. But there was they were trying to trying to follow like the hacker's footsteps, where they claimed that they downloaded this stuff from Slack groups and they were trying to reach out to Take Two to like negotiate a deal. I don't know what they had in mind there, but it hasn't worked out well for them uh, because their email address was hacked. They were doxxed, And then all of a sudden, their source code is not for sale anymore. Uh, The hacker has (laughs) disappeared. Uh, All the footage that was getting uploaded to the Internet has been taken down for copyright. Um, I'm sure it's out there. If you if you Google it, you can find a bunch of it. But um, uh, the hacker is now apparently this. I found this out yesterday. It's being investigated by the FBI. Uh, and they're potentially, uh, being, they're potentially a part of a larger ha- hacker group called lapsus dollar sign, lapsus dollar sign that was, that had also previously hacked Microsoft and NVIDIA and others earlier in the year. So, um, certainly bold moves from the hacker. Um, we'll see how that plays out for them. Um, but the, uh, the big, I think the big, I don't know, news or discussion point is like, this is, you know, this is something that's been in development for a long time. I'm sure these developers were not happy to have their unfinished work with debug code and everything released um, for the general public to see. Um, so, you know, for you two, you, you're you've both worked in game development. Like, have you ever had anything like this happen to you? And even if not, like, how would you feel if your work was kind of leaked uh, to the general public? Um, there's been some Backlash, like, you know, some sort of unsympathetic fans who are like, well, you know, Rockstar, take two, like free to play, greedy, blah, blah, blah. But that's like publisher, not the frontline game developers who are having their like their hard work um revealed to everyone. So anyways, what do you guys think?
2: Yeah, so uh I can I can tell one story um about a company that I was with. I will not name the company for the to protect the <laughs> the innocent or guilty as it may be. Um so uh yeah, we woke up one morning and um, someone in the in the Slack room had said, uh, you know, wanted to, we had a video posted of an upcoming uh, new feature that we were working on, and we can't figure out, you know, where that came from and what happened, where they got it from. Uh, you know, fortunately, the video hadn't been watched a lot; like this wasn't, you know, big AAA game, um, but it definitely was very unsettling for everybody. Uh, that, you know, it wasn't finished, wasn't quite finished. And um, we were all trying to figure out, like we had only seen that video in the Slack. And so, you know, how did they get into it? What happened? We started like kind of questioning everyone and um, the community manager was getting ready to do some damage control and try to talk with everybody about it. Um, And so we had like a good hour or two of sort of panicking. Um, And then we found out that the one of the um, leadership in the studio had intentionally leaked it, but just hadn't told anyone. So they had given this person some videos so that they would, you know, start to distribute it. Um, and so, you know, the good thing was, the good news was there wasn't actually a hack. There was no leak, um, but, uh, or no, you know, unplanned leak as it may be. Uh, but I certainly like got to see some of the panic that happens and that kind of feeling of, where where did this come from? You know, are we safe? Is our information like is there other stuff that we have to protect now? Um, and uh, and also kind of reinforced the uh, you need to communicate with everyone if you're going to do something a little unusual. <laughs> so <laughs> this uh, this manager um, yeah, it, it wasn't ideal. So mm-hmm. um, you know, fortunately, it did not affect the game in a negative way, and and may have even had a positive effect, which is always one of those. You know, at some level, you kind of wonder sometimes if we le- I, mean, I don't think this one was—but some leaks are seem kind of suspiciously uh, uh, beneficial to the developer. Right. But um, that's that's my story in that uh, that category.
1: <laughs> I don't I don't have a story where this this happened. Um, I think it it's just part of the world now that this is this is a risk, and even if you're a, a small company, it's it's how. People are learning to 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 make money, and it's it's a business out of it. So I think if I think processes have to change to protect against you know someone locking your data away and having having the the ransom to gain access to it. When it's getting, um, for example, the source code, like what happened with with GTA. If that if the forecast is that that could be revenue, you know, revenue breaking if it could. Really affect the game. Then, um, when I worked in fintech, something that was really important is that the the chief um, information security officer they were part of the um, C level team. So it's not like in some companies, even really big companies, where yes, you do have a cybersecurity team. They're more advisors rather than enforcers. Um, but if you have that role as this isn't just optional this is going to block your release we have to do these things we have to do um catastrophe catastrophe analysis and make out okay if this happens what are we going to do um how do we protect our data? how do we protect our source code so maybe this is a change we could see in the game industry where it's becoming so prevalent that cybersecurity will become um a more i don't know how do i describe this this role that can enforce change
2: it's Certainly, in fintech, that makes a lot of sense, and um, you know, it'd be hard not to mention the, the huge hacks in Web three, blockchain, crypto games. Um, there's, uh, I mean, <laughs> hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, it's to the point where, like, I see a new article, you know, a new announcement of a hack, and it's just like, well, that's that's what's what happens now. That's just par for the course. Which is um, not great that we're getting desensitized to that kind of thing. Um, but also just from a security perspective, like, you know, if this was in on their Slack, um, you know, that may have been a Slack, uh, security hole, but more likely I would bet it's just, you know, old fashioned social engineering. Someone tricked someone into getting a password and then they logged in and got it. Like, and there's, there's only so much you can do for that. I've, I've seen yeah. very, very intelligent people get tricked by that kind of thing before. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, you you it's certainly good to have good practices in there, but you know, we're all human too and, and things like that will happen, unfortunately.
0: Yeah.
1: That's true. I don't know how how much companies invest in pen testing as well. At least that was something that exists widespread in, in fintech. Like do you do do game companies actually pay someone to do their best to try to hack the company? I don't know.
2: Is that Sorry, what pen I'm testing not, is? I'm not familiar with it. Yeah,
1: term. it's like penetration testing, it's where oh, okay. you authorize someone to do their best to try to do bad things. (laughs) Um, Sorry, Matt, you were saying?
0: Yeah, no, I think you you both made um, some of the points that I was gonna raise, which is like, it's probably not really a security vulnerability so much as a social engineering exploit. Um, uh, To to your question, Maria, I think probably some companies do. I know, you know, we certainly have anti-cheat folks within the organization. Um, However, it's probably limited to organizations of a certain size, I would guess. I would assume Take Two Rockstar has security and anti-cheat folks as well, but there's only so much you can do um, when it's uh, you know someone makes a human error. Um, uh, as you say, I think this is this is kind of a reality of game development uh, these days. Um, you know, just. Just a couple days afterwards, Diablo 4 had a similar thing happen where some of their footage was posted anonymously mm-hmm. online. I think it happened to Tekken earlier in the year, Tekken 6. Um, I read something about how the entire multiverse roster of characters w- was released well ahead of time. So so perhaps there's something to discuss here around like proactively planning for communications and PR around these things with the assumption that perhaps some of the key details mm-hmm. might leak. Um, And uh, there's also another point to be made that like, there are different types of hacks, quote unquote. Um, So if they truly got the source code, which I don't know that that's been necessarily confirmed, the the hacker says that they have it, um, that's a pretty big deal and may lead to consequences as it relates to um, cheats or mods or something like that. But if it's just gameplay footage, that's a little bit different, uh, or it's like details around the story or the characters that are in the game. like. I think that's a little bit easier to damage control, quote unquote. Um, There's also, at least on the mobile side, I don't know how prevalent it is on PC console, um, data mining. So someone gets a hold of a beta build or an early release and they unpack it and they're looking through the code to see what's in there. Um, I've had that happen to games that I'm working on. Sometimes it's accurate and sometimes it's not. Um, And so, you know, as a, I don't know, consumer of this, uh, rumor mill, you kind of have to take it at face value. Um, so uh, I'm not really sure what the point I'm trying to make here is here. here is, but there's like there's a, a scale here, I guess, of severity and there's only so much you can do as a developer um, to get out in front of this.
2: Yeah, I think probably what you're saying there is or part of what you're saying is, I think, a really good point, which is that yeah. things like um, videos and story and things that would be in a a Slack channel or something are not nearly as damaging as code. And so, you know, Maria's point about having really strong information security around the things that matter, like source code, um, I think is very prudent. Uh, It makes a lot of sense, but also just sort of like some level of just kind of accepting that some of the lighter stuff like screenshots may slip out and... You know, maybe even prepping everyone that you know it's it's not the end of the world. There's no need to panic. It's it's not going to ruin anything. Like they said uh, they're continuing on. Rockstar is not making any changes. Like it's it's not breaking anything. It's okay. So uh, as long as you're more careful with the things that really would matter, um, and then just take sort of a sort of a zen like it'll be all right if something goes wrong. Hopefully, it doesn't. Um, you know, I think that'll help you get through most of it.
1: I think there might also have been a bit of a morale hit. Um, at least I saw some comments that weren't very kind to the game, but it's it's not done. It's in progress, but that being reasonable and not go straight into the attack, especially on online social media, that, that doesn't happen, it's very instinctive of how some of these comments are made, or at least I hope that that's the justification for it. Um, so even if it's something that's minor, um, it could still have an impact on the, on the morale of the team where, I don't know, it's been in dev since 2014. You spent eight years working on something and then it gets released before it's, it's ready for an audience and you hear um, a lot of negative comments. I, I can imagine that might have some, some toll. And um, I remember that CD Projekt Red actually was hacked earlier this year and the source code of Gwent, um, The Witcher 3 and Cyberpunk was, was hacked and I think it was even, it was auctioned on the dark web or something. And there was an article in June saying that's now circulating, their source code is circulating and they've managed to get access to it and selling encryption keys and whatnot. So that, that will be a real example of what does it, what is getting your source code um, given to the world? Well, what, what are the consequences of it? I don't know, don't know how much, how many details we'll get. Um, that's, yeah, that's a recent example.
0: By the way, this game is not set to release for at least another couple of years either, Um, (laughs) right? It's still a ways out, I think. Um, So I think Rockstar will be okay. I think the hype will still be massive for this title. I think it will still perform incredibly well. Like if it's anything like their previous titles, whether it's GTA V or Red Dead Redemption, like these are amazing games uh, with incredible uh, tools and tech behind them. And um, I think they'll be okay. But for, yeah, as you say, for the frontline developers, it is certainly demoralizing to have your half-baked work released to the public and criticized by uh, people who often know nothing about game development and are quick to be harsh with their judgment. So it's certainly disappointing from that perspective.
1: Well, but then we can get... um... I don't know. I don't know where I was going with this hook. Well, I'm just going to (laughs) abandon it. Um, Yeah, we'll go into Anthony's risk in game design. I was going to be mean and say, but then some games can just take it away. But that's not good because it's meant to be fun. So, yeah, throw that segue out the window. Um, Cool, Anthony.
2: (laughs) Sure. Um, Yeah, this is sort of a theory I've been working on for a while, um, looking at media, both games but also outside of games. And just sort of trends in audience um, preferences and where they're being kind of drawn. Uh, and I think it probably first started with Game of Thrones. Um, and I won't, no, I won't give any spoilers or anything in case anyone hasn't hasn't finished it or probably showed up by now. But oh well. Um, the uh, one of the things that I think was so compelling about it is that they were absolutely willing to kill off anyone. And so anytime there was a battle, like when you're watching a Marvel movie or something, like you know the hero is going to be okay. That's just, that's not how those movies work. But in Game of Thrones, when there was a battle, your favorite character might not make it out. And that made every one of those so much more compelling because there was this sense of risk of the potential for loss. And, you know, I you know, felt much more of a like, you know, my heartbeat going anytime there was a a battle with someone I cared about because I didn't know where that was going to go. And I think, you know, I'm sure some other shows have done it before, but I think they did it really well and uh, and it was really effective um, and then we've had things like uh, Dark Souls and all the Souls-like games that a lot of people say are really hard and I don't think it's I mean there are certainly hard parts of it but I think it's more about the fact that you you know you have long times between your saves and if you make a mistake like, you can methodically go through it, but it's punishing. If you do something wrong far into it, you can go way, way, way back and lose, like, a couple hours of progress. And that makes everything you do in the game that much more tense because you have some sense of, of loss that can come from it. Uh, and then I was looking at some other games. Uh, I'm a little behind the times, so I just now have heard of Escape from Tarkov. Um, but uh, for those of you who aren't as familiar with it, um, it's a PvPve. Um, It's basically um, kind of a battle royale game over a long term. So there's a bunch of different players who are trying to have each have their own objectives. So you're not like competing for something. It's not PVP in that you're not generally getting points for killing each other. Um, Sometimes you might have an objective, like you have to shoot some guy in the left leg or something, but generally not. Uh, But you can also kill someone at any point in time. And when you do, they lose all of their progress. All of their equipment that they had is just dropped, and anyone else can pick it up. And so it's you know a tremendous sense of loss. Um, I saw a reviewer who was talking about how in most games when you you know take out an opponent, you're just sort of like minorly inconveniencing them. And in Tarkov, like you're really like I mean, he, what he says like you kill people. Um, like you'll never see that player again. That's they've lost a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and uh, and it makes for I mean. It's in the top 25 games on Twitch. It makes for very, very compelling, um, uh, you know, viewing. Uh, it's sort of a big prisoner's dilemma thing. Like, you know, everyone could just run around and just get their stuff done, and everyone be happy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you do, if you try to do that, and the other person's not, then you lose and they win. Um, so it's it's this giant kind of like experiment in that. Uh, and there are a couple other games. I think um, there's one called Hunt that's a similar kind of genre. And we'll probably continue seeing this sort of evolution of Battle Royale. Uh, and then looking at like the crypto side, um, Crypto Raiders is a game that uh, a while ago announced that they were going to have permadeath. And in March, they had their first uh, tournament where there were 64 players that each had their own NFTs coming into it. And anytime an NFT, one of those died, they burned the NFT. And so 63 of those NFTs were burned and there was one like big winner who got all sorts of stuff, but people were losing things that were worth a significant amount of money um, going into it. And, uh, you know, again, it makes for really compelling and really exciting kind of drama as a streamer and as a viewer. Um, You know, we're starting, we see roguelikes, which have obviously been kicking up a lot um, or have been gaining popularity for years and years, but uh, continuing to see. And this is, I think, one of the angles that I'm curious about is like, you know, where can you introduce risk into other genres? Um, yeah, Slay of the Spire in CCGs, we've got like Binding of Isaac and Survivor Survivor.io in arcade shooters. 3D action have been like Nioh 2, Elden Ring. Um, obviously, we've got the first person shooter, Battle Royales. Um, the uh, you know hack and slash games like Hades, there's even a tower defense um, roguelike called Tower Tactics Liberation uh, that I've gotten into recently. So um, I guess that's kind of my first couple of questions are, you know have do you agree that this is a trend? And if so, do you think there's directions that we can go as game designers or um, to maybe explore that uh, and uh, give players a little more tension and, and excitement in in games?
0: Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not sure if it's a trend uh, or I, I tend to take the the view that this is kind of like, um, I mean, maybe it's both. It's, it's sort of like a fundamental bias or like part of human nature to like value what you have. And it's called like loss aversion, right? Like um, if you have it, you're going to feel much more um, concern or anxiety about losing it versus like the potential to gain some equivalent amount is like your excitement for that is less. I'm doing a poor job of explaining loss aversion, but that's, that's kind of the idea. Um, and you could even, um, maybe extend this thought to go to like puzzle games where, you know, I have 30 moves to complete this round and I get to move 29 and I'm not going to do it. And, uh, then I get the pinch, spend 30 currency to get five more moves or Mm -hmm. whatever the case may be. So, um, you can, I think you can, um, extend this thought to all sorts of games. Um, one thought I had as I was thinking through this, you, we were discussing this on Slack before the, before the episode was, um, perhaps this is something where games and media are becoming more, uh, fragmented and niche towards specific audiences. So there are some audiences, Game of Thrones fans, Elden Ring fans that have a higher tolerance or higher uh, excitement around the risk and the potential to you know, lose all the progress you've made. And there are other audiences, say, in more casual genres or different types of media that are less open to that. They want a more comfortable lean back experience. Um, and maybe this is just, there's more content and media out there today than there was However, many years ago, and there are more. There's a broader spectrum of experiences in that loss aversion category. Let's say,
1: yeah, I think it's finding new new markets in a way because we have the traditional personas, and I think we've seen a trend where um, game studios, instead of trying to satisfy, have a game that has everything you select a persona, and then you really dig into the core of what motivates them. So I think these risks where you put it all on the line and hope that your skill is enough to get you through it, I think it's just leading into like the killer persona. Um, You're competitive, but now you're even more competitive where you can lose it all. Um, So yeah, I think it's just targeting targeting a, a market. Because I, I do believe that having a game like that, you might have, uh, you might target a smaller audience, but then get an audience that's more deeply engaged and we will monetize more in that kind of game. Uh, and then you might have um, more success in esports and streaming because it's exciting. And then another example that comes to mind is, for example, the the Explorers. I think that's what it's called. Which is people that like to explore the world and um, discover Discover treasures. I think that's what um, Sky Children's of Light on mobile is really tapping into because it doesn't have too much action. You just you lean you lean back like Matt said. You explore the world. You'll find all of these treasures, and it's more. It's all about the the journey. Uh, I think we'll see. Yeah, some some game studios tapping into that more.
0: That's a good point. That's fair. Um, fair. I, I I think uh, Anthony, you also raised a good point around. Um, crypto NFT games um, because the financialization adds another aspect of potential loss and potential risk, right? It's like you're just if it's if it's a game, it's yeah you've lost a lot of time and perhaps you've invested in some of the in-game items like Eve Online comes to mind for example. There's a lot of money that's been lost in uh, destroyed spaceships there, but um, in crypto games it's the entire thing is financialized uh and so just it's like built in that that loss aversion that risk is just so inherent to the gameplay um so yeah maybe it's just like a new dimension there yeah it, um
2: you know in terms of like trying to like, i mean it reminds me a little bit of like you know almost going back to you know, watching the coliseum or something like can we get back to the more and more our risk and the more kind of like loss that you can come from, it seems to, it really does sort of trigger a um, sort of a yeah, an entertainment kind of side to, to things, to viewers at least. Um, but I also yeah kind of wonder, like, especially with NFTs and with high value things, like, is there any sort of a, um, a moral obligation as a game developer to not um, provide situations that, you know, even in there've been stories about, uh, you know, like Call of Duty players who have like swatted each other and, you know, just because they get angry over losing a match or something. Like if we start upping the stakes more and more and I've seen other NFT games talk about you losing NFTs to each other. And um, I, I don't know, like it's, it was, it made me kind of take pause and wonder if um, a game with that design is creating a situation that might lead to um, some sort of escalation or is that just, outside of the realm of anything that you know game designers really should be worried about
1: i think not only nfts because currently an nft does not have a legal uh, difference from something that's not an nft i'm assuming this so maybe that consideration is more like any kind of game where a player can put to stake and lose a significant investment i don't know if if the minimum entry price of something you can take into this game mode costs uh, $100, is it is it okay to allow the majority of the players who enter that round to, to lose $100 each? But then that's that's poker. I guess poker is um, regulated.
0: I, I think you're you're onto something there. There's definitely a moral and ethical obligation to communicate the risk of loss to your players. Mm. I don't know that designers. Should necessarily concern themselves with like what might happen when someone takes it to to an extreme. Maybe there's you know maybe we sort of think through the edge cases and and put some guardrails in place. I think that is totally fair. Um, I think there are there are other ways to um, make it a little bit. Um, make the loss a little bit more palatable or less painful. Uh, So an example that comes to mind, and I'm sure we'll see this with NFTs at some point in the future, is like you can, in these extraction shooters, you can sometimes buy with soft currency or hard currency insurance on your items. Um, Mm -hmm. So like in the event that you get killed and you lose all your stuff, well, you'll get some small percentage of, of the value back or you'll get the items back or something. Um, the, these extraction shooters, by the way, are coming to mobile and that's definitely something you can do there as a PM. Like that's a huge monetization sink in my mind. Um, so definitely like yep. selling insurance is going to be a thing. And if that's, um, I'm sure that someone will, some company or service will pop up in crypto gaming to ensure NFTs that have potential loss in, uh, crypto games. And if you lose your NFT character or whatever, and it gets burned, like you'll get some percentage of it back in ETH or whatever
1: yeah well that's for example what runescape does or mmos you could have the pvp area so runescape has the wilderness where you go and do pvp and if you lose um anyone can take whatever's on on your character but then you can buy more bank slots so that you can keep more at your bank and carry less danger with you I, i think that is such a good idea matt about the insurance and this is what i love about you know blockchain coming in and giving even more game design possibilities to what exists nowadays and it's seeing this merge of just things that exist in the real world coming into the game like insurance you know we did that in shipping times when we had the first (laughs) the first boats exploring exploring the world so i can imagine i don't know you might have a a blockchain game where someone can take on a role of an insurer where you, you can create your own little business where you might accept you might take the risk of the loss to for the the price you get for the premiums. Who who knows? Um, Never has
0: gaming been so exciting as when it entered the insurance world. <laughs> <laughs> gaming actuaries I, <laughs> start popping up.
1: <laughs> I, I, I got excited.
2: <laughs> I do want to call out one game um, that was just sort of a, a fun experiment uh, that someone ran years ago. It was a flash game um, that uh, was on Congregate.com called You. Own. You only live once, and it was a like you were jumping across the top of um, buildings, and you had to time it to get across. But the game would you, you once you lost once it would write a cookie to your your computer, and you could not play the game again. Like you literally got one life oh, ever wow. in the game, and so like you, you would kind of really you know anytime you get to the back, you like kind of back up it's like I'm going to get this one, I'm going to get this one, and it would show you like what percentage of people died on each jump. Um, and you could go in and delete the cookie and everything, but the, the concept was really interesting of just literally giving you one life to see how far you can get.
1: Wow, this is how non-tech savvy I am. I was thinking, oh, I could just travel all the libraries and go to all the computers and play it when I could just delete my cookie. Um, <laughs> but I think another another reason why we might see this, this, risk, um, this risk type of game design happening more and more in blockchain games Is I'm not going to mention play to earn. I'm not mentioning play to earn. But a big aspect about the game economy is um, having scarcity. So features that sink and then you create scarcity and then that changes the marketplace value of the different things because that, that, that can create a whole meta of itself. So I can see things where this is a good way to burn NFTs. So imagine you, I don't know, you mint, there's a, a limited edition um, flower that you mint 200 of them. And then enough people bring that flower and it gets burned. Well, then it will increase in price because there's less of them there. So it can create something special out of it. I say flowers, I didn't want to say gun, but that sounded <laughs> really cheesy. It's a game where you go and give flowers to other people.
0: You raised some it's good like points. A, it's happening. That's, that's, yeah. Uh, sorry, Anthony. It's it's definitely happened. Yeah. I've I've talked about it before. Um, there's a game game that a quote unquote game that took place called Chain Faces Arena, where you had a uh, you had you got an NFT and you submit it to the arena, and either you pull it out at some point to get your share of the prize pool, or it dies quote unquote it gets burned in the arena, or it's the last one standing and wins the the full prize pool. But there are all these market dynamics uh, around, you know, let's say NFTs that never entered the arena. Or when you put it into the arena and then pull it Mm. out after some number of rounds, it gets like a visual scarring. And so that like changes the appearance of it. There are also different like traits that have different rarities. So so like what how will the market value a NFT that went into the arena for a hundred rounds was pulled out. Has all these scars on it. Has different, you know, rarity tiers around its existing traits. But um, you know, it never won any like real prize. Like, how does that? How does the market value that? I don't know. But it's an interesting dynamic that gets created because a bunch of them were burned in the arena, so the overall supply has gone down, and there are only so many that have this many scars and this many rarity tr- traits. So. I don't know. It's like interesting market dynamics that form around those things.
1: That's cool. And if you have a really awesome animation where it shows you the pain, it burns in front of you. That could be also interesting from a streaming perspective where I, it just really goes... Again, we're going into those player personas. You really dig deep into the persona um, to, to generate all of these uh, stronger emotions.
2: I mean, as popular as like just watching people open gotchas... Like expensive gotchas, like I spent a hundred dollars on this. Let's see what comes out of it. Uh, it's a, a really popular thing on Twitch, um, and, uh, and and so kind of similar. Like you have at that point lost a hundred dollars, and you might get something back. Like it's sort of in the other direction, but um, yeah, creating like kind of big dramatic endings and little mini funerals, maybe, or you know anything that can like you know, really can take advantage of how fun it is to watch people put it all on the line and, and see what happens.
1: Yeah, I'm super pumped to go make a game. <laughs> okay, I think we'll we'll wrap it up then. Oh, I jumped through a lot of topics; that was that was really fun. Um, yeah, if you want to add something to discussion, you can find us on the Navic Discord. You have the joining link in the show notes. And thanks, Matt and Anthony, for joining today. Enjoy your son, Matt. Not salty I will, about thank it. You. And we'll <laughs> see you again next week. <laughs>